From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your camper, RV, your cabin in the woods. And a special hello uh, to those of you listening in on one of our U.S. affiliates. And special thanks to uh, Chris Whitting and the, the whole team at Syndication Networks. All of you all over the world listening in on the podcast. It is everywhere. Uh, through iTunes, Podbay, Stitcher Radio. Of course, the Conspiracy Show app, which is available as a free download at uh, the Google Store and iTunes. Wait till you get a load of this app, if you haven't already. It is amazing. A very sophisticated piece of technology. And uh, thanks again to Sharon Forster for that. Uh, so wherever and however you are listening, I welcome you. Uh, so much going on. I want to carve out a little time in the next few weeks to discuss Donald Trump. Uh, love him or hate him, this is a watershed moment in U.S. history, maybe global history. And I, I really believe about 90%, maybe 99% of the pundits on mainstream media are missing the point of Donald Trump entirely. It's not about uh, illegal immigration and building a wall and uh, repealing the 14th uh, Amendment. What he has managed to do in just a few short months is break the establishment's control over the nomination process. He has smashed it into a million pieces. He doesn't need George Soros money or the Koch brothers. He doesn't have to go hat in hand to big pharma or insurance companies or the lobbyists. He is entirely without baggage. He's not for sale. Again, you may loathe what comes out of his mouth. But what he is doing is hugely significant. And I have to say, because of this, I'm worried about his safety. He has the unelected oligarchs, the equestrian class... And that includes the owners of the mainstream media. He has them apoplectic. They are apoplectic. And some of them will stop at nothing to prevent someone like the Donald from uh, assuming the reins of power. So uh, in maybe uh, maybe two, three weeks, we'll do a half hour on uh, or an hour on that. Uh, we also have September 13th fast approaching. Not just another date on the calendar. Uh, For those of you who have read Rabbi Jonathan Kahn's books, The Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah, and he's been on the program a number of times, and I consider him uh, now to be a a friend uh, and a bit of a a spiritual advisor, Uh, you know the significance of that day if you follow Rabbi Kahn. I believe September 13th corresponds with the 29th of Elul on the the Hebrew calendar. And this marks the end of a... um, is it the end or the beginning of, of, of a seven-year cycle that is mentioned in the Bible? And, the, and these seven-year cycles, or Shemitahs, are often accompanied by cataclysms, financial, man-made, natural. The stock market, the, the stock market crashes of, of uh, 1929, 30, 1987, 2001, and 2007 and 8, all happened during one of these Shemitahs, in and around the, the 29th of Elul. All right, so that's all upcoming. Uh, hey, did you did you read about Morgan Freeman, uh, his uh, step granddaughter, about a week ago? Horrible story. Uh, 
his great or his granddaughter was fatally stabbed, and it was being reported in the New York Post and elsewhere that her longtime boyfriend, Lamar Davenport, uh, killed her, stabbed her in what was described as an attempted exorcism because some witness apparently overheard him saying, get out devils, I cast you out devils, in the name of Jesus Christ I cast you out, as he was murdering this poor girl. Now he's been arraigned and he's being held in a psychiatric facility uh, for observation. Based on what I've read, this sounds like a drug-induced, drug-fueled rampage. Nothing to do with exorcisms and demonic possession. Uh, but whenever you'll notice, whenever these tragedies pop up in the news, it casts a spotlight on this ritual of exorcism. And it is a ritual, and it is a sacrament. And for the record, I believe that demonic possession is real. I really do, absolutely. That's where we're going for the next 40 minutes. Archbishop and Chief Exorcist of the Catholic Ministry... Archbishop Ron Fail is uh, here to discuss demonic possessions, poltergeist activity, and the symptoms of personal hauntings, and how the clergy and exorcist investigators deal with this problem and may be able to help. He is the presiding bishop and chief exorcist of the Order of Exorcists since 1981. That's a long time. The Order of Exorcists is under the independent Old Roman Catholic jurisdiction of the Sacred Order of St. Michael, the Archangel independent from the Vatican in Rome. The only connection is the... Uh, well, I'll let get him, get him to explain what this is, but it was, um, it was issued by the Roman Catholic Magisterium in uh, the year 2000 and signed by Pope John Paul II on June the 16th, uh, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger on August 6th, which states, the churches which, for not, the churches which, not existing in perfect communion with the Roman Catholic Church, remain united to her by means of the cl- closest bounds that is, by apostolic secession and a valid Eucharist, are true particular churches. Uh, So in other words, uh, this is, I guess, sort of a sect of the Catholic Church, but not officially in union with the the Vatican. But uh, they maintain a relationship. Uh, That all being said, let's uh, welcome Archbishop Ron Fail to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Archbishop. How are you? Yes, hello. How are you? I'm just fine, actually. Very well. Thank you, and I appreciate you joining us again. And uh, there you are on our uh, our Hangout on Air. I'm glad you joined us. Uh, and this is your, your second time on the program. Uh, for those, um, I kind of muddled that up, but explain exactly what the connection is uh, between the, um, well, your organization and the Vatican. Well, our only connection with the Vatican in Rome is that we have apostolic secessions that go through the Roman Church. And because it does, we are recognized, our sacraments are recognized, our rituals and so on, as being valid. So we may not be directly under the Vatican, but we are a traditional old Roman Catholic organization. And we practice all the sacraments, and, uh, and of course... We also perform exorcisms right. when needed, and as does as does the Vatican. I mean, the Vatican has a chief exorcist, so this isn't this isn't a schism um, between the old Roman Catholic Church and uh, the Vatican based on this particular ritual, because it exists in both in both the the, uh, the Catholic Church and the old Catholic Church. Correct? Yeah, that's very true. Um, 
you know, I, I, I receive lots of criticism because we're not directly under the Vatican. And as such, I'm called all kinds of names, from being a fraud to a, a phony to a fake and, and all these other terrible, horrible names. All I could say is that we've been doing this for, well, almost 40 years now. And as a result, we've helped thousands of people who have reached out asking for our assistance in the thing that we do. Was I correct in describing exorcism as a sacrament? Is it officially one of the sacraments? It is. It, it, we, it, and, and, and it's interesting because as, you, as more and more people get more aware of the actual ritual of exorcism, many, many questions keep coming up. You mentioned um, Morgan Freeman and his step-granddaughter who was, uh, who was stabbed several times. And, and from what I read, uh, it was her boyfriend kept uh, shouting and say, uh, saying something to the effect, I cast you out devils, I cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ, and he kept stabbing her and stabbing her until she was dead. That's horrible. Absolutely. And, and everyone's concept of exorcism is totally and completely uh, different. I suppose it's based on your belief systems. But we use the Roman ritual uh, in all our um, ceremonies when it comes to exorcisms. But we don't just do an exorcism because someone has asked us and has informed us that they have uh, some form of demonic attachment or possession. You know, we have to see the proof. So we have a very analytical approach, and as such, we have this organization in place. Uh, I've mentioned this before on the air, but I think it's appropriate to mention so again. Uh, A couple of years ago on my television program, I believe it was our first season, we did an episode on demonic possession, and I traveled to Yonkers, New York, and I I met there a a New York State-certified psychiatrist who claims that he, well, it's more than a claim. I mean, I I think the evidence is there, that he documented what he called, again, this is a a board-certified psychiatrist, documented what he called an an authentic case of demonic possession. He had a a, a patient uh, who did not respond to any of the traditional um, medications or or, um, sort of psychiatric methods for treating what he thought initially was a disorder, and he eventually concluded it was an authentic case of demonic possession. A Catholic priest and exorcist uh, agreed with that assessment after their lengthy investigation. Uh, but they are, they are exceedingly rare. Would you, would you agree with that, um, Archbishop? They, they... Oh, yes, yes. They're very rare. But, you know, the unfortunate thing is that most people, um, they misdiagnose a situation by jumping in and wanting to perform a ritual almost immediately without hearing and, and receiving all the facts. Our organization, we uh, use a very analytical approach. I mean, before we, we perform any rituals, we do an in-depth investigation. And uh, we have people in our organization that do just that. Uh, we call them our lead uh, investigators. And they go out and they will actually uh, do the first contact on our behalf and... Uh, then they will do uh, conduct an, an in-depth interview, and we have a 500. Uh, I'm sorry, we have a 60 question uh, questionnaire that we uh, that we have our investigators uh, follow. So we try to ascertain as much information as possible. All right, we'll take a time out. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about. 
without mentioning names, obviously, uh, we'll talk about some authentic, quote-end-quote, cases of demonic possession you've been involved with. We'll talk about perhaps some of the signs that a loved one may in fact be possessed and what can be done about it. Archbishop Ron Fail, the presiding bishop and chief exorcist of the Order of Exorcists since 1981, is right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, Archbishop Ron Fail stays with us. We are talking about exorcism. He is the presiding bishop and chief exorcist at the Order of Exorcists. And uh, on the website, Archbishop, I see you are recruiting. You are looking for uh, new exorcists. From I mean, from what sort of field do you uh, do you draw upon? Are you looking for seminarians or other priests? What we're doing is we're recruiting people from around the world. And as for clergy, we are looking for Catholic clergy from any jurisdiction who has permission, if they're a priest, from their bishops to join our organization. We're more of an association, if anything else. And when we have a case that's assigned, or rather when a case comes in, I assign the case to a particular uh, group of investigators. They investigate and collect as much evidence as possible regarding the case if it shows that there's a, uh, a demonic involvement and then at that point if it's a possession we request the physical and psychological examinations once those come in we submit those to our doctors we have three physicians two of them are psychiatrists and they review the reports with their recommendations and at that point i would uh, may, uh, i would assign the case to the uh, uh, to the city where the case has originated from, I would contact the bishop, and the bishop in that jurisdiction would uh, contact one of his priests who he has appointed as an exorcist to actually perform the ritual. He would uh, go out and join the investigation team there at the location and actually perform the ritual. The, the so, fact that you are recruiting suggests that the this is a growing problem. Yes, it is. In fact, we, we, we're seeing so many cases are coming in from around the world that we don't have enough priests or investigators to cover the cases. So there's quite a few people that we're not able to help. Uh, at the present time, we're in 24 countries and 17 U.S. states. Um, but we need a lot more. There's like 290 countries in the world. We're receiving requests from Jamaica, from, um, from Jerusalem, <laughs> From uh, from Greece, we we have no clergy in those countries. We need uh, clergy in Russia. We need uh, we need them all over the world, actually. And then we need to have investigators to do the actual demonic investigation and assessment on our behalf. And once the reports are submitted, then we could take it from there. So we're looking for experienced lead. They could be lead paranormal investigators who have experience in collecting information and who are open to receive our training in our process of demonic investigation and assessment. If they're willing to do that, willing to join our organization, then we would train them. Uh, we trained them for, uh, for uh, uh, a year-round training. We, we asked them to help support us by uh, paying for a $65 membership fee for the whole year, and then their training is free. 
And, of course, that, since we're a nonprofit organization, that's the only support we receive. I'm guessing that, that exorcism is not a... Uh is not for the frail. Uh, would you, do you have to be young and in good shape in order to perform an exorcism? You have to be called by God to do this Certainly, type of ministry. Yes. It's a Certainly. specialty. Yes, but above not and beyond everyone, that. Not everyone, not every priest, bishop, uh, can actually do this ritual unless they're truly called by God. This is a specialty, as I said. And once they, are, they have that calling, then they would seek the training. If they're a priest, they have to um, have their bishop contact us, and the bishop has to be willing to appoint their priest as the exorcist for that particular jurisdiction slash diocese. If that be the case, then we would uh, we would receive the priests uh, into our order. We would train them in demonic assessment, and the priest would only get involved in these cases when we need them to perform the actual ritual. Um, all the work is basically done, all the investigation work and, uh, and reports that are submitted are done by our lead investigators and their teams. Uh, and then that's who we rely on. So our, our organization uh, compiles of clergy and laity. The laity are our investigators. They're the ones that do the first contact and submit the reports to us and to, to see whether or not we have a valid case. Right. But the spiritual component, obviously, you know, that, that has to be there. But I guess what I was asking was, um, when, you are in, uh, when you encounter, when an exorcist encounters someone who is possessed, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going from descriptions that I've had from uh, exorcists, but also, you know, what's in the, in, the, in, in the popular culture, in the movies and so forth, I would think that Someone involved in an exorcist, you know, would be called upon, to, you know, to to, re, to physically restrain uh, someone who's possessed. I mean, again, th- this is not for the frail or or weak. Well, actually, taking this from taking this from a genuine, um, authentic point of view, um, an exorcism is not. Done as and that ritual is done as a last resort. We have to make sure that we have the evidence in place. The people that will be present will be the investigators of that team, along with the clergy. The clergy is never alone. The clergy is always with at least four to five different team members that will be there present. The person who is possessed, and this is once we have sufficient evidence that there is a true demonic possession, and we are not dealing with a psychosis, uh, then once we know and we, are, we have the evidence, then we will uh, do what we have to do to perform the ritual. The victim is bound to the bed or bound to, to a chair, and we make sure that the victim is secure, because all types of things could happen. If the person is truly possessed by the demonic, the person may show incredible strength, they may show incredible uh, abilities to do things that would fall under the supernatural. And I'm not just talking about things flying around in the room, because that happens anyway. But I'm talking about the ability where they could um, try to deceive not only the clergy that is performing the ritual, but try to deceive everyone in the room, and will pick somebody in the room and start talking to that individual as if, as if, uh, as if the demon knew that individual on a first-name basis and, and would tell all its secrets. And then it would look for the weakest link in the room, and it will go after that person. The demonic is very aggressive. 
But even before it, it, it shows itself, and it shows its physical manifestation through the body of the, of the person that's being possessed, it will first try to hide itself. It doesn't want anyone to see it. It doesn't even want you to know that it's there. In fact, it will do anything and everything it can to convince you that the person is okay, that there's no reason to have uh, this ritual. There's no reason to have the company of our investigators and our clergy. It will try to convince everyone in the room that it's perfectly okay. And this is how it would deceive. It does lots of deceiving, lots of lying, and lots of misdirection. It will try to... Um, to Take your attention away from the from the task at hand by having things fly around in the room, by having other things that take, would take place that would definitely take your mind off what you're trying to do. You know, when performing this ritual, the clergy has to be extremely focused, and the people around or in the presence in the room, which in most cases would be the investigators, they too have to be on point, and they have to not try to be distracted because... The demonic will try to distract you. Oh yes, have, have and, you and have as you a witnessed? Result, people could get hurt. Yes. Um, as you probably read my story a couple of years ago, I was physically attacked yes. by uh, demonic entities as I was performing a ritual of exorcism. It landed me in the hospital for a month. I was in intensive care, and after three operations, I still have the residual effect as to what took place in that particular uh, situation. Um, right now, I'm, my physical exterior is, um, is declining. My, my hearing loss is also uh, very evident. I, I hear this constant ringing in my ears, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, can't sleep. It's very hard for me to concentrate on exactly what I'm doing. Fortunately, in our organization, I have a lot of wonderful, dedicated people that are willing to step up if we need an exorcism to take place in Washington, we have people in Washington. If we need in New York, we have people in New York. If we need an exorcism or an investigation for an assessment done in the U.K., we have people there. We have people in Poland. We have people in Africa. We have people in India. All these people are tied into our organization. Right. Once I receive the request from someone who either sees um, a show such as yours or maybe some of our bulletins that are, that are on Facebook or other material on the Internet, they would contact us, and I would receive the request, and then at that point I would see who I have in that particular city, state, or country. At that point I would make the assignment to the lead uh, exorcist, or rather to the lead investigator for that particular town. Okay, I wanna, if I could jump in here, Archbishop, I, I want to ask you a couple of pointed questions. One... Um, I need you to sort of separate uh, Hollywood mythos from reality. Uh, do victims of demonic possession, and have you witnessed victims of demonic possession, levitate? Oh, yes, of course. Um, I've, I've been doing this for like 37 years, a long time. In those 37 years, I've seen this happen at least a half a dozen times, uh, where people have actually raised their entire body actually were actually raised from the bed i've actually seen the bed elevate a couple of feet uh with witnesses you know the room is filled with witnesses we have our investigators we have everyone uh you know at point 
and witnessing uh, these events. How about... Uh, that's only the tip of the iceberg. Now, okay. Now, everything you see in the movies, okay, that's, that's done for entertainment value. But what really goes behind closed doors in a real exorcism, you will never see. All you right. will never see because it's just not meant for it to be seen by anyone except the people who are directly involved. Understood. Do you... Should we attribute, or can we attribute, the rise in demonic activity and the need... As you say, you're recruiting new exorcists. There's a problem here. Is there a problem? Because, I mean, obviously, you can't turn on a television. Uh, half the shows now, it seems, on cable networks are devoted. This program is devoted uh, to this uh, sort of thing, but we're trying to raise awareness here. Uh, you can't turn on the TV without seeing programs, you know, zombies and, and uh, ghost hauntings and ghost hunting uh, shows. Uh, the, the, you know, the proliferation of, of, uh, Ouija boards. They're sold as toys in, in department stores. Is, is the fact that it, that this activity is being reflected in the culture, in pop culture, is that giving rise to an increase in genuine demonic activity? Yes, of course. Demonic influence is all around us. It's on the Internet, it's on TV, it's on the radio, it's on um, in the regular media, social media, of course. But you see, the thing is, it's, it's, it's gradually, uh, it, there's a gradual delivery system. You won't even know that it's of a demonic influence. You'll just simply accept it as part of your environment, part of what you're going through in life. Demonic oppression, for example, that occurs, and it's, it's such a, a delicate, soft, slow process the person wouldn't even know that the the thought that was implanted in his mind was from uh, from an outside source other than his own um as a result um these demonic influence these ideas will come into a person's head um it's all around us there's no escaping it it's all part of the scenario and the whole thing is that most of the people who are skeptics and who will not believe they will probably be the first ones that will be touched by the demonic in some fashion. And they will never know that it was actually done or from the demonic. They would think it's, it's just something that, uh, that, that, that just happens uh, to be in their life. And as a result, they have to deal with it. Uh, little do they know that this is the whole plan of Satan, is to, is to attack us in so many different fashions. You know, I talked about demonic possession, but there's also demonic oppression. There's demonic infestation, which is another very common, more common than possession. And that's where the demonics have the room of a space, house. Uh, and as a result, you know, they will be in that house. Some people may view it as a haunting, but the reality is it could be perhaps maybe invited in by some, either intentionally or unintentionally through a Ouija board, maybe through some other... Uh, means of opening that door, and as a result, they welcome the demonic into their space. All right, Once we'll take it. Happens, they have all kinds of problems. We will take a time out. We'll come back. Archbishop Ron Fail is here talking about the holy sacrament of exorcism and demonic possession. We'll talk about some specific cases when we come back. My name is Richard Serrett, and you are listening to the Conspiracy Show. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. 
The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Uh, welcome back. Archbishop Ron Fail is with us. And uh, the Order of Exorcists are building an army of God. They are recruiting exorcists. And you can find out more details at the website, uh, www.orderofexorcists.com. Uh, Richard Gallagher, Dr. Richard E. Gallagher was the name of the uh, psychiatrist. His name escaped me, but uh, I met with him in, uh, in New York State. Uh, he described this case of an authentic demonic possession, and um, he put me in touch. Uh, this is a very secretive uh, meeting we had. He put me in touch with the uh, the attending exorcist uh, who was uh, in New York City. So one night, around midnight, I get this call from New York City, and it was the the priest, the exorcist, on the other end of the of the line. The um, the first order of business before we started talking about this case was he he said this prayer. He said, you know, when you start talking about these things, you open yourselves up to a potential uh, oppression or possession. And uh, so he thought it was important to begin our conversation with a prayer. Uh, the fact that you and I are talking about this and people are listening to this, is there any danger, uh, Archbishop? Of course. There's dangers all around, all around us. We don't have to be talking about it. The danger's still there. <laughs> the demonic is always here with us. But 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 He's specifically, do we increase the danger? Do we increase the risk by discussing it? This this conversation. The risk was increased when you were born into this world, and then from that point on, you've been exposed to it. the The evil of this world has been existing from the beginning of time. Before the time anyone was born, and will will continue to be here until God uh, finally ends this whole uh, battle, if you will. This battle has been going on for the longest time, and the dialogue we're having now. The more you understand and acknowledge the fact that the demonic does exist, yes, you're going to be open to it. Yes, you're going to probably see things you've never seen before. But at the same token, that's your cue to get close to God. Because with God, you could not only protect yourself, but you'll learn to survive uh, in this battle of good versus evil. Well, uh, you, you, you said something I think is very important. You will see things you have never seen before. And uh, this, was, this came to me again from uh, Dr. Richard Gallagher, this psychiatrist, who said he was on the phone uh, with this priest that I mentioned, uh, talking about this particular case. Uh, the priest was in a remote location somewhere, I think, on, uh, in, down in Florida and uh, on vacation, and uh, Dr. Gallagher was in his office in New York, and all of a sudden, during the conversation, this woman's voice interrupted. She was now on the phone with them. I mean, that's one of the supernatural things that you discussed. Can you share with our, our audience, and some of them are unbelieving, Share some of the things that you have personally witnessed that would sort of fall into this category of the supernatural that involved a demonic possession. Okay, first of all, the story you just told is a common one. It does happen to us uh, who are in this ministry. I was on the phone, this was like six months ago. I was on the phone with one of our priests from back east, and we were talking about a case that he was working on, him and his team, and as a result, as we're talking, somebody actually interrupted as if we were talking on a third-party line and started talking to us and calling us by our first names. We never use first names, by the way. You know, I'm Archbishop File. Uh, this is Father So-and-so. We never use first names. Um, this person comes on the line, calls us by our first names, and starts talking about the case. 
Now, at that point, you know, I was stunned for about 30 seconds, and uh, so was the, the priest I was talking with. And so I, I stopped the individual and said, who is this, you know, and, and how did you get on this line? You know, because this isn't a party line. And it just broke right in, and it's voice. Again, you know, as you see in the Hollywood movies, you know, with the, the, the deep, growly voice. Well, that's exactly what the voice that was on the phone. <laughs> and it's so funny because uh, it started talking about details about the case that we were discussing. And again, um, we did not discuss any details as to what, what the particular case was over the phone. You know, all our cases are confidential. They're not open for public display. So as a result, the only people that are familiar with what is going on or what's taking place in the case would be the investigators and, of course, the clergy. And so this person just went on and on, and then he started using profanity, and at that point, uh, the priest, Becky, and I decided to just hang up, and that's exactly what we did. That's just one situation. And, and that's not the first time that's happened, but that was the first time that we were identified by our first names. And this person started talking as if he knew us, as if he knew what we had for breakfast. It was just incredible the way his, the way he just basically uh, just went into the conversation. Let me let me share another um, story from Dr. Gallagher, the psychiatrist. Uh, again, dealing with this patient who had been involved in a satanic cult and uh, in you know drug use and gang uh, you know gang relations and so forth uh, when she came to him. Uh, and this, again, was what he described as an authentic case of demonic possession. Uh, one night he was uh, at home in his uh, house with his wife, and his two cats started fighting on the foot of the bed. Uh, these were cats that had grown up with each other and had uh, you know, lived very harmoniously in the house. All of a sudden now they were fighting. And I don't know if you, you know, people who have heard cats fighting, it's an ungodly sound. I mean, it, it, it's frightening, actually, to hear the sound of cats fighting. And he was very disturbed. Uh, the next day, uh, he had an appointment with this, the same woman, and the first thing that she said to him was, how did you like those cats last night? Uh, can you relate to that? Uh, anything sort of similar happened to you? Demonic possession is not only for, uh, not only people are possessed by, or can be open and possessed by the demonic, but also our animals can also be possessed, which means their behavior would be quite strange. Uh, no doubt, very aggressive, and, and, and that's that's very well known. It's a well known fact. Um, but I, I would like to also share with you um, uh, the thing that I do is I look at assessments. I look at what our investigators taped uh, as they were doing a walkthrough and actually doing uh, the actual demonic assessment, and then they send me their reports and I review their CDs. I'm looking at the CD and understand. The, uh, the investigation was a month ago. And I'm looking at this, 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 uh, uh, this assessment, and I do this in front of my computer. So I'm looking at my monitor, and I'm looking at all the action, and then I actually witness a demonic entity that actually took place and was actually part of the whole scenario as, I, as I'm looking at the screen intensely. I felt a surge come from the keys of my computer. It threw me back to the back of my chair and then I realized I had a stinging sensation I lifted my shirt and there was five fingers and a palm right on my side now this was the same side that I was struck a couple of years ago when I was attacked by the demonic 
it was my left side. I went to the hospital that evening and uh, to find out, you know, if it was a blood clog. It just so happens that the shape was the palm of a hand. Oh, my. Listen, I've got to jump in here, Archbishop. Apologies. We'll finish that story on the other side. Archbishop File is with us, presiding bishop and chief exorcist of the Order of Exorcists. They are building a god or an army for God. More details at orderofexorcists.com. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740. One of the uh, stories we have up on the slide carousel at richardserrett.com is, um, well, Destination America, a.k.a. the network dedicated to all American entertainment, is going to host the first live televised exorcism in U.S. history, aptly titled Exorcism Live, uh, that'll take place Friday, October the 30th, just in time for Halloween. It was announced Thursday at the Television Critics Association Summer Press Tour in Beverly Hills. Well, how about that? An exorcism. Uh, I'm sure, Archbishop, uh, that doesn't sit well with you. What are your thoughts? Well, it's Hollywood. That's all I have to say. It's Hollywood. It's, it's sensationalizing something that is of as it should be a, a very private matter. Um, this is a personal experience that an individual has to go through. It's the lowest point of their life. It is they're actually walking through the shadows of death. They are uh, being tormented physically, mentally, and as a result, to put it on TV, I, I think um, if it was genuine, I think it would be totally unheard of. I don't believe anyone who was truly possessed um, would even have knowledge or, or consent to something like that. I'm certainly sure the family members would never consent to that. I was reading a little bit about that program that's going to be on on the 30th, and it's my understanding that it was going to be in the house where the actual uh, case, uh, where the movie was based on, The Exorcist. Ah. Uh-huh. And I, was, I, I read further that uh, they're going to do something in regards to uh, performing a, an exorcism on a demonic structure, that is the house itself, not a, an individual or a person. Now, this is what I read. I, now, I, mm. no, I, I, I could be off, I could be mistaken, but I believe that's the, the gist of it. I can't imagine that the, anyone from the Catholic clergy would be involved, uh, would be a participant in this television fiasco. I, you know, I, I don't believe so. I, I, honestly, um, I read that there will be a psychic medium present, mm. and there will be some other people um, basically representing, I believe, the New Age movement. In any case, I don't believe it's going to be of of a Catholic slash uh, Christian ritual. Right. Uh, right. But uh, And it's not going to be on a, a personal possession case. It's going to be on the house. And that's what I read. Now, okay. I, I could be mistaken, but that's I just read that uh, I, just a little while ago. Archbishop, I wanted to ask you, uh, I, I don't know if you have any knowledge of what's going on down in the city of Detroit. Uh, recently, they unveiled a statue um, dedicated to, uh, um, I'm not sure if it was uh, uh, Bophomet or, or uh, Baal, the god Baal, uh, Baal, rather. Um, but they, unlo- they unveiled this, this demonic statue. 
uh, in Detroit. And um, I was at a gathering recently. I'm told that a number of people came in from Detroit, and they say that there are there's all sorts of satanic activity going on in Detroit, satanic churches. What are you hearing? What do you know about what's going on in, in Detroit? What's going on in Detroit is going on in every state of the Union. It's what's going on in Detroit is going on in every country, if you will. Right now we have the advancement of, of watching it all take place through the Internet. We're able to see things that we never were able to see uh, 50 years ago. As a result, we're seeing these things for, as, as if we're seeing it for the first time. The reality is that there always have been places where statues, satanic rituals, black masses have been performed in the United States as well as Canada and the U.K. This is a common phenomenon that has taken place, and I'm going to say from the beginning of, well, from the beginning of time. So there's nothing, there's nothing special or unusual going on. This is all part of the demonic influence that I spoke about earlier. Um, we're going to be seeing more and more of these things happen, and as we do... Um, uh, there's very little we could do about it. It's the sign of the times. Uh, if and, someone is um, possessed, um, is there a point at which time they are too far gone? Let's say they have lived with this for 20, 30 years. Maybe they've been languishing in, a, in a, some sort of a mental institution. People thought they were mentally ill. In fact, they were possessed. Is there a sort of a point of no return where that person is a lost cause? I don't believe that uh, God knows or even knows the term lost cause is. I believe everyone has the possibility of having the opportunity to be saved. Um, in, um, if a person has been involved and has been tormented for 20, 30, 40 years and has been locked up in a, in a mental institution, um, if the person has the ability, even briefly, to be lucid and say he wants help, and request an organization such as ours, we would be there in a flash. And yes, that person can be helped. But are there some cases... Have to be, they have to have the ability to say that they want to be helped. Right, right. It, uh, are there cases that that have taken more than... that have taken numerous attempts, um, numerous exorcisms to be performed in, in order for that person to be set free, if I can use that term? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, well, we have a couple of cases now that have been worked on for a couple of years now. Um, well, well, part of the ritual is we have to um, not only provoke the demonic entity that's, that dwells within the person, but we have to ad- have that person identify itself. The entity has to identify itself by name. And at that point, then we could uh, work on that particular demonic entity if it's a multiple possession where there's multiple demons, we have to do the ritual over and over and over again until we tire the demon out. When we wear the demon out to a point where it's, it's, where we put it in torment by the Word of God, by using the sacraments that we have, by using holy water and holy oil and, and salt and, and continuous prayers on a repetitious fashion, it will, it will um, totally, completely uh, put the demonic uh, uh, in a defensive mode, and at that point, it would it would just simply uh, become tormented as we continue the prayers, and then at that point, it will finally give its name up, and at that point, when we could finish the ritual, and we could command it to come out in the name of Christ. 
Why is it the multiple demonic situation? Mm -hmm. We have to repeat the same ritual over and over and over again. It can take, it could take, uh, well, as I said, a couple of years, you know, and this is like three or four times uh, a week visit in doing the same ritual over and over and over again. So, uh, you know, it, it could take, it could take three hours. To have someone delivered, or it could take someone over two years. And the, and the turning point is once the demon gives up its name, that's it. It, it. Once he gives up his name, first of all, in the very, very first portion of the encounter, it's going to try to make you believe that it's not there. It's going to try to hide itself deep within that individual. So the exorcist has to do all he can to provoke this demon by using sacramentals. And as a result, the demon will slowly come out and identify itself, and then maybe not by name, but at least by, by its presence, by you can see by the manifestations of it. Hmm. At that point, then you start drilling it, and that's what you're doing basically. You're drilling it, into, uh, and, you're, and you're actually uh, interrogating it to a point, and you're asking for its name. Then it gives its name. It's a long, dragged-out process, but it has to be done by the numbers. Where, where does it go once it leaves the body? Once you've set that person free, it, the, 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 the demon gives up its name. Where does demon, it go? The demon gives up its name and, and, and it comes out of the individual. I like to think it goes to hell. But however, if the person that has been delivered does not change uh, his or her lifestyle and, and continues to, to do the same reckless behavior as, as he or she did before we got involved, then the demon will come back, not only the one, but it will come back with many demons. And then we'll have a multiple possession uh, of demonic possession in our hands, which means that the situation would have been escalated and it'd be more severe. So, uh, and we instruct, you know, um, the people, our victims, uh, what they should do to, to have a closer relationship with God and to fill that, that void in their life. Because once the demonic is out, there's a void that's still emptied in their life, and they have to have that filled with something. And this is where their behavior modification would take place. Are you able to catch a glimpse of, of the demon as it's leaving the body? I have seen uh, I have seen demons uh, come out of walls. I've seen demons walking, okay, in, in rooms filled with demons, with demonic entities. And their description is more like a, a gray, dried face with, with always a black hood. It seems like they're, they love the black hood thing. But I've seen, in a, in a demonic infestation, I've seen what appeared to be the, the likeness of a demon, and it was not one but many in one place. So I've actually seen the demon. Now, have I actually seen the demon come out of an individual? No, I have not, but I have sensed it because something happens. The, the person, the victim, has uh, there's a complete transformation. The victim um, regains their color. Uh, sometimes you can smell a, a sweet aroma. Um, the, the victim becomes, you know, confused but yet relieved. And, and uh, so, so there's a big transformation that takes place once the demonic leaves the individual. So you, you would know. But to actually see the embodiment of the demon come out, I have never seen that. I'm not going to say it's not possible because in dealing with these matters, anything is possible. Dealing with the demonic, anything is possible. So I, I never rule out anything. 
Uh, Archbishop Vale, could you leave us with a, with a closing prayer as we, uh, as we close the program? I sure can. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Father in heaven, I pray that everyone who hears my voice may take to heart the reality of the words that I have spoken. I pray that each person who may need our help may call us and may receive your relief and your blessing. I pray that you be with us. Help us to be aware of the reality of the demonic and help us to gain the knowledge we need to protect ourselves. I pray this, dear Lord, in your name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for uh, spending time with us, and uh, I wish you well and many years. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Orderofexorcists.com. They're recruiting an army for God, folks. And uh, if you're a seminarian or a priest, uh, they need you. We all need you. My thanks to our new technical producer, Ian Robertson. Good job. Albert Vinzel, as always. And all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program. It'll be a good one. I'll guarantee that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing Sorry, I've forgotten that. I've, I've, I've been thrown. That's perhaps the devil uh, trying to intercede in this program. You've heard it before. You know the drill. All right, we'll leave it at that. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. I can't believe I forgot that.